And that's why you shouldn't take your vacations all at the same time. What's up, everybody? This is the Cover Band Confidential Podcast, the podcast for cover band musicians and band leaders who want to rock more and suck less. In Greensboro, North Carolina, I'm Dan Ray. And I'm introducing this episode all on my own today because Adam and I are already both off on vacations and can't be here at the same time. But we did luck out and happened to find ourselves with some killer content to share with you we think you're going to totally love. One of our Patreon members, Creston Heltzel from the band Alt95 out of Cleveland, joined our Patreon at the top level, which entitles him to a live coaching session with Adam and me. They actually worked it out so all four of the members of their band could join on a Zoom call together and we could dig in together about what they're all up to. They took the option generously to share their session publicly with the podcast listeners for the benefit of all. Now, Alt95 is doing a ton of stuff right, and Adam and I had a bunch of ideas for them to add to what they're doing and things they might want to think some more about. Overall, it was a super amazing conversation, and it actually went on long enough that it's enough for two whole episodes. We really debated, should we cut it down to size, but so much good stuff in it, we decided just split it right in half, put it out as two subsequent episodes. This episode covers song selection and setlist design in the context of a 90s pop band, and then digs into Alt-95's branding and design messaging. Next week, we'll get into social media, frontman philosophy, a whole slew of other topics. So with that, I'll hand it over to past us and the members of Alt-95. So why don't you guys start by giving us kind of a general introduction uh, of the group? Uh, Cresty, if you want to take the lead on that, uh, by all means. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, we're, we just, we picked the name alt 95, as far as this band goes, uh, it's a little interesting. Uh, Brad is not only our drummer, but my father-in-law. Um, and, uh, he's, he's a young father-in-law. We won't say his age, but you know, um, and, uh, he and I, he and I, aside from playing in church practically every weekend, except right now, cause I'm on a break, um, have played in, numerous bands together since like 2016 and um you know all the time we've really wanted to do a band kind of our way right in a professional manner in a way that you know where it's not just a bunch of dudes throwing it together that end up half in the bag halfway through their gig and you know that kind of nonsense where i think we've probably all been right um (laughs) chris (laughs) and um you know, I've been playing out, uh, you know, 20 plus years. My background is, um, uh, you know, I went to school in Nashville for audio engineering. I ran a few studios. I, I built a studio there. I built a studio in Sydney, Australia. I worked in a staff engineer at different places and got sick of it, came home, um, you know. And uh, so Brad and I, you know, he was playing with another band in town where he kind of got sick of the shenanigans uh, your typical cover band nonsense shenanigans, egos that are not needed, that kind of thing. He can tell you about that. And uh, and so we finally were in a position where we're like, let's do this thing. Let's find some people. Let's do it. Uh, Chris, we met in a Craigslist ad of all places. I didn't have a lot of high hopes for the old Craigslist ad. Um, but, you know, uh, Chris thought that, uh, I don't remember how you put it, man, but you were like, you didn't seem crazy by your I, <laughs> your Craigslist ad. I've um I've been looking at Craigslist every day for the past fifteen years. I've gotten really good at reading between the lines and knowing yeah. who's batshit. Sorry yep. to, to curse, but yep, uh, you're, you're fine. It's fine. <laughs> and and who and who's normal? And I could just tell immediately that Creston. Okay, they whoever this is that they're they're normal and they know what they're doing. So that's that's better than ninety nine percent of the ads out there. So I'm at least gonna at least gonna email them. And here we are. I'll tell you, I found some great people off Craigslist. Right I found some great band members off Craigslist. It's it can be done. Did you did you find your your current bass player that you keep bragging about? Was that a Craigslist find? No, she was a referral from another bass player who um, didn't have time, but had uh, just graduated from from the jazz program with her. Uh, but my current bassist is off of Craigslist. Oh, sorry, drummer. Pardon nice. me. Pardon me. Pardon me. Current, current drummer. Oh, drummer. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, Isaac, we found of all places on Bandmix. Um, I don't know if you guys are, have ever looked at band mix, oh, yeah. you know, and yeah. like I've had, I've had a profile on there and never had a lick of success. And I was like, all right, we're trying to find a singer. I'm going to pay some money for a month, see what we can do. And, uh, and Isaac responded. And uh, it, I was immediately like, I think the first time we started texting, I noticed his number was a six one five area code. And I was like, dude, are you a Nashville cat? 
And I was like, shit, man. All right. So like, that was cool. And, um, and we just, we just started hitting it. Like, uh, Chris, Brad and I started jamming end of last year. Isaac came in uh, a few months ago. Um, he also plays guitar and, and piano. Um, so that was a huge bonus. And, um, yeah, man, we've just been, we've just been plugging away and, um, trying to just get everything. I think one of the things in like that document I sent to you that I typed up that, you know, one of the things I felt like we were really doing right with this is trying to get everything in line ahead of time, get the the branding, the social media that, you know, we're doing tracks. We got everybody on ears. We're all on bottlers. We're like really just trying to get everything set so that when the first gig comes, we could, and it's just troubleshooting from there. So that's, that's kind of our, I don't know if anybody else wants to add anything to that. Uh, that's that's on the money, dude. <laughs> Very good. You dude. said it. Very yeah, well. Uh, yeah, and everybody, we got like a our, a quick little bio of everybody uh, in the group, and um, so now, you, have you guys actually played out yet officially? Is or is that this is still kind of a an, an up and coming project? It has not been realized live yet. No, first first gig is uh june 25th okay um, so yeah i can't wait to you know we played with a lot of great players and to bring these guys together to do this and i can't wait to hit the stage with these guys very cool uh, so yeah 625 it's our first gig i think i i know it's true for me and i think i heard creston say it but this is possibly the longest buildup I've ever had to a band because like he said we started playing together like maybe October November of last year and I've I've never taken this long to get a band going but I've never been in a band this professional so I've been going along for the ride but yeah it's been, it's been a long time coming so I think we're all we're all very excited to play cool I'll tell you I fully get that my current project we just did our second gig last weekend after being in the practice room for well uh we were trying to do a pickup, a pickup throw together for a New Year's Eve gig that didn't happen. So that's about the timing of that. that was when we all started. So that's I'm with the, you. It's everyone been, get, got COVID one, right? Everyone got COVID. Yeah, we canceled it all because we all had COVID. Um, yeah, miracle. Uh, but we weren't ready, also. So that was uh, <laughs> worked out for the best. But it's been it's been Bonus. the same same kind of thing, you know, solid five 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 and a half months of working it out, getting ready to hit the stage. Yeah. So I so I definitely feel that, and I appreciate your preparation on that. It's really good. So as far as um, the it, it it's be, it's very apparent that you guys are being super thorough and thoughtful about the way that you are uh, prepping and approaching uh, this you know this this first gig, but specifically, what are the things that you think uh, would be would, that we could potentially assist you with? What are the question marks in in this whole operation that you think, uh, you know, you're not you don't quite have your hands around? Uh, so I think. I'm oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brad. I was going to say, like, so one thing that I have, uh, um, so we uh, like the like crest mentioned, um, you know, uh, we use tracks, uh, we use Ableton, uh, and we run tracks uh, for um, our services at church, right? Mm-hmm. And, this is where I learned how to use uh, the tracks in Ableton and stuff like that. Um, the longest uh, service we've done was about 97 minutes mm-hmm. set. Every song had tracks, um, and some, and in some cases, you know, pretty, you know, you're talking about maybe 10, 15 tracks for each song. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, I ran that. Um, so one of the questions that I actually had written down for you was uh do you use session view or do you use arrangement view in ableton and uh why mm-hmm. uh i like the linear uh the linear approach to running the track so um since i have done it a couple times with uh cover bands um mm-hmm. so i'm gonna do it again on friday night and they're the, their guy those guys they they have an mp3 they split uh left channel right channel yep I still throw it into Ableton because then I can throw some markers in there for myself um, and then just run it out to my Focusrite or um, go out the uh, to uh, just a two-channel Focusrite and then I go into um, a dual DI because mm-hmm. I like the through so I can run the, the click to my yeah. little mixer and mm-hmm. I have more control over that. 
Um, but I was just curious kind of how you do the tracks for this kind of where, um, cause I know you guys, I think you're running seven or eight channels out, right? So you split click cues. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and so how, session view versus arrangement view, um, the, uh, when you run the tracks, do you throw everything out? Cause I know you, um, you download all the stems, right? So you download yep. all the tracks and then you just turn on or off whatever you need. So do you load all that stuff right into your set list? Kind of like, how do you go about doing that? Yeah. So, um, all right, we can circle back to that. Cause I, <laughs> I'm gonna have to open it up and really like dig in. Um, I think one other question that I had, uh, and we can come back to this too is, um, so we, <laughs> I, I've, uh, I was a DJ for a long time. Um, one thing that was always frustrating to me was I kind of go in, you know, the songs that get people dancing, right? You know, the songs that are going to get people on the dance floor and you know, the songs that are going to clear the dance floor, right? So when you need a break, you play that one song as you know, everyone's going to leave. You get a second and you kind of get everybody back up. So um, I've not, always, I've, I've never been the guy in a band who puts together the set list. And so um, it's usually somebody else maybe throw some input in there. Like, you know, that song doesn't work there, whatever. So the other night we tried to do this as a band and kind of do a, a group. Let's plan out our set list. Um, and uh, it was, it was interesting and it was fun uh, to kind of go through that process for our first show because it's a summer festival uh, in the backyard of a Catholic church. So we're like, well, we certainly can't do the, santeria song because we're not going to be <laughs> smacking hose and shooting people in the mouth like that, that kind of stuff right but I'm going forward, too bad in the box <laughs> yeah, yeah right so <laughs> going forward like uh um guys at your level like how do you guys plan out your set list do you have a rotation of set lists you add new songs and go okay we're you know we know that this this particular venue they like this kind of a like how do you guys plan out your set lists Right on. So uh, Ableton song selection, uh, and then uh, Dan and I, you know, did some review of your socials and the website and the song list and stuff. So I think we've got plenty of uh, good topics to dig into. Yeah, I want to. So, I want to dig in on the branding too. Some for sure. So um, where do you want to start, Dan? Well, let's just answer that question. Song selection. Yeah, I'll let you take lead. This is. I know this is like your. It is, and I and I have I have a whole philosophy of of set list building that you probably heard me if you've listened to the podcast for a while you've probably heard me talk about um, that is about managing the storytelling of a podcast I'm all, or of a podcast of a set list um, because it's got to follow a certain flow and as a DJ you're you know very dialed into that it's got to have a certain energy there's got to be but you can't hold that energy for too long because you'll wear everybody out you won't get them back it's got to be about shaping all that stuff and. Um, I will say I have, I have, I, I can give you a cautionary tale, which is if you get a set list that works, the temptation is to just play it at every show. And what happens then is you get sick of it and bored with it. And your bandmates start to be annoyed that they're playing the same songs over and over again. The energy starts to fall off and you don't even realize it because you're so in a groove about it. You don't even know that that's happening. Um, so I have committed with this current band that I'm creating that we will always be rotating, evolving, shifting, trading songs in and out. But that means you need to sort of understand where every song falls on the energy, popularity, danciness sort of matrix. There's a, there's, there's a, a, a lot of variables about where each song is going to fall. And if you take one out, you want to bring one in that's equivalent, you know, so that you can keep the shape of the set list all sort of in, in one way. Um, you'd certainly want to want to pay attention to, the audience, I think it's really important. Um, there, there are songs in my show I would not do in a, in a Catholic church parking lot, hundred uh, percent. Um, right. <laughs> so you do have to th consider that every time. And then, and then, you know, part of the fun of it for me is, um, so all right, we don't rehearse on the, on the weekends that we gig, but on the weekends that we don't, we get together and some things are still, you know, we're, we're tight on a bunch of stuff. So we don't need to work on that. So we got this freedom to say like, Hey, what about this tune? Like, Oh man, this is on the radio on the way in. It killed me. Let's do that one. And you know, you can get back into that space of creating again, once you've sort of built the show and there's a stable place to evolve from. Um, I think your thinking is right on about needing to fine tune it. Um, but I would also say it works to have some, you know, moves that are fairly static. Um, we have some, uh, two now, um, 
dance medleys that are kind of through composed. They have transitions that don't stop and the rhythm keeps going. The tempo is all the same. Keys are all the same in some cases. And, um, and those move around as a chunk. We'll place them at the high energy point of the set. Um, so there's something to be said about like basically creating like blocks of songs. Yeah. Like they may not necessarily be in the same part of your set every single time, but it is a lot easier to navigate when you know that you've got, I don't know, two to five songs that are always going to kind of be together based on yeah whatever and parameter you, you set. In practice, I've only ever done and that you, with Brett. Go ahead. Yep. I was going to say, uh, that's one thing that Brad was doing. <clears throat> was that last night that we met? Yeah. Jeez. Last like, night. Yeah. Last night. That was one thing that Brad was doing was like, okay, so we're like, we can do these three songs and like, let's put these two songs that are in drop D together. Mm-hmm. And then like, let's put like the poppy, like, Brad's come up with a medley for um, I'll Be There For You, right? The Friends theme by the Rembrandts with uh, Closer to Free by the yep. Bodines, hmm. right? And uh, and Isaac has come up with some great ideas for medleys. And that was something that we were kind of like maybe unconsciously conscious of when we were, when we were talking about it. For sure. Yeah. It really is pretty amazing how those medleys just really work uh you know when you put the right one together the previous cover band i was in uh singer and i put together a medley that um had pony in it and uh and harder to breathe from mm. uh, by maroon five and yeah it was it just that's a good one that's a great and, and, one you know, like there were several times we were playing like we played this biker bar out um out by the you know we're we're in cleveland right so um along the lake uh, the islands are a big deal over, you know, kind of west of us. And we were playing a, a biker bar out there. They're like, there's no way we can play this. I'm like, you watch. Mm. I mean, there you can. And, and it went over so well. Uh, even the, even the hardcore bi- bikers turned around and gave us a smile. Like, yeah, we, I, yeah. yeah they, they know more than, than, uh, you know, head out on the highway, you know, right. <laughs> there's yeah. a classic, um, more than smoke on the water. They know more than smoke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some that, yeah. all right, you kind of have to do. Born to be wild. Sorry, that's the one I was looking for. Names are failing me tonight. I don't know what that's about. Um, yeah, there's some you got to well, do for the bikers, but they, they're broader than you think. Most of them, you know, a surprising number of them are s- lawyers during the day, so. Yeah, I mean, most of the, the yeah, we're, we're talking about blues lawyers, like yeah. the guys who, you know, who are playing out on the weekends, like we are. Yeah. But like the- um, I can afford the Gibsons, I can't. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, medleys serve kind of two purposes. It it kind of shows your personality, your creativity, but it also allows you to take songs that may not necessarily like live for an entire song length because a lot of them, you know, you're not going to be like, nobody cares about the bridge in uh, Harder to Breathe. They just want to hear like, you know, the parts that they remember. So you can kind of cram those together and get, uh, cover more ground. Here's a good example. In my, in my sort of modern pop dance mix, we do uh, Party Rock Anthem. Yeah, but nobody wants to hear that whole thing, right? So we go as far as want to see you shake it and then jump into the next song. It's it's good. It's it it works really well. So you know you can certainly totally get away with like two verses, two choruses. Get out. Yeah, and as far as like song selection goes, uh, I have my band has something called the Wang Chung rule, Uh, and that the story goes: I really wanted to do "Everybody Have Fun Tonight" by Wang Chung, and every single person in the band was like, "I don't know," and I was like. I'm the band leader. This is my show. We're doing it. Three three shows later, it was gone because it just did not. Nobody cared. Nobody mm. cared. And so nobody wanted to do dance hall days, which I think is the superior song. I do too. Yeah, I mean, we we could probably pull it out, but yeah, we just it's just now referred to colloquially as the Wang Chung rule. You get three <laughs> sh- you get three gigs and you're out. Yeah, yeah. If it doesn't bang by the third gig, it's yep. not happening. Yep. I like that. I'm going nice. to remember that one. Yeah. Yep. That one's good. I think, uh, I think that's interesting. Um, cause we, when we were going through our song list, um, you know, we've been playing these songs in the basement here and, and like we play and we, uh, you know, I think one of the criticisms of bands that use tracks is like they lack energy. And I don't think that that has been the case with what we do. Uh, and so we're doing these songs in the basement and we think they're going to go over really well. Like I mean, we play them well, there's no reason. And I think we're going to end up with a couple of Wang Chung tunes. Uh, and it's going to be unfortunate because there's songs that we really dig. Yeah. And yeah. I think those are, maybe we can take those tunes and put them at the front end of a set, the first mm-hmm. set and make those like, Hey, let's use these songs as our kind of our sound check songs, right? We 
the first song isn't super crazy involved it has a decent amount of track and vocal and guitar and bass and whatever and we can dial in our ears and then get the ground running after that and look, yeah, i mean the the thing about um i mean the the audience is going to be the ultimate determiner of what does and doesn't work for you guys 100%. and so um it, it's hard to get attached to to songs because ultimately you have to enjoy doing them but the if the audience isn't following along with you then you're kind of just like punishing them for your own satisfaction <laughs> yeah which is also not cool yeah so that's always something you, you need to consider that's what you're into doing that. yeah adam really wanted to wang chung tonight and so you will <laughs> wait you nobody, will nobody. wang chung tonight yeah yeah so in your defense man i really think like i i thinking about it now i'm like that I could see that tune going over really really well you know, it, there's no, there's no through line. It's just, you know, in my market, it's just not the song. I guarantee you there are dozens of bands in, you know, doing what we do in other markets and they do it every night and it crushes. It's just, you know, it's just not working down here. But while we're in the, the, um, the song selection conversation, I did want to say a couple of things and it kind of ties into what something that Dan wanted to hop in on, you know, the, um, the, the, the description that, uh, was provided to us is um we want to put on a modifiable but easily repeatable show playing alt rock and pop from 1990 to 2005 uh and you're kind of filling this this kind of gap in the market where you feel like most people are playing like grunge and butt rock and and like we're kind of filling this hole the problem that I'm running into is that looking at your song list and your current set list, that doesn't bear out in the material that's there. To me, it still feels kind of grunge and butt rock heavy compared to some other stuff. Now, I will give you credit that, you know, under the in progress tab, there was a lot of the stuff that I was looking for. And, and the backlog for sure. But, yeah. So I would say that if that's if it if that's the the direction you want to go i would really prioritize kind of front loading uh those songs and kind of putting them to the front of the uh the potential you know set list material the other thing that was kind of unusual was that um when you when i was looking at the bands that you are covering the song selection from those artists wasn't necessarily the ones that I think would be the best to go over. Um, just off the top of my head, uh, you know, Can't Stop by Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, It's All Been Done by Bare Naked Ladies, uh, I'll Never Actually Go Third Eye Blind, you know, in, you know, STP. Like, there, there are definitely different songs that I think would be easier to introduced to an audience as like a dry group like where you they don't know you um that i think might be better choices than uh the ones that are on your current list uh if i can um totally hear what you're saying mm -hmm. um don't totally disagree i will say that our current uh, like if you were looking at the spreadsheet, right, the current repertoire, which is everything that we've fully onboarded yep. so far, <clears throat> we wanted to get up and running as quickly as possible. Um, and so a lot of songs were picked because mainly because Brad, Chris and I like already knew them, right? Like it was, there, nobody's got a woodshed anything, right? We're, you know, um, so I can totally agree with you that a lot of the stuff uh, that's on there is your very typical cover band stuff. Like find me a cover band that doesn't play. Hey, jealousy. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's a lot of standards on there. Um, oh my worst enemy. My own. Yeah. Dude. Yeah, that but you know what? That, <laughs> for, for whatever song. So one of the weird things about the Cleveland market is that like, because we're a Rust Belt town, right? We're probably 15 years behind Atlanta, right? And we're probably 15 years behind uh, Dan. We're, you're in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. I, I, I bet we're about the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Well, I don't know. I got family in Raleigh and when I'm in Raleigh and we're bumming around town and checking out, you know, cover bands and bars and stuff like that with my, my younger sister who's 10 years younger than me and can out drink me. So it gets difficult, mm. but, um, but when we're bumming around town, you know, um, it's definitely more of that kind of party band, you know, the poppy, like, so, um, you know, I think there's definitely an element. I feel like we did make a conscious decision to some degree to include some of that stuff, right? Because we do want to have some of the stuff that people are a little more familiar with, right? Um, aside from some of the pop stuff, but uh, I think that's kind of why it looks the way it does right now. And the backlog has um, a lot more stuff that, that could fall more into the pop whatever yeah yeah i mean i you know looking down your list i i did a 90s gig uh on friday and we did six out of the 20 that you're doing for the saint ambrose event so you know the there there's definitely a, a ton of overlap there and i was super stoked to see you get what you give because i i absolutely love that song and that's just one of those that not Same. a lot of folks are doing so great tune um but yeah it was just it wasn't necessarily that uh they weren't good choices it was just that they may not necessarily be the best option because like if i was going to pick a red hot chili pepper song it was it would be like give it away or something like because you know it, it matches the energy it's i mean from like a tempo kind of feel standpoint it's almost identical to can't stop that, that was kind of uh, the thinking i had adam like as i looked on that list the, the ones you have prepared in a lot of cases i was like well that's that group's number three hit yeah uh, you know and, and, and i'll tell you as doing, a let me just say this. So I, I've, I've yeah. shared on the, on the podcast, I was way down a classic rock rabbit hole during the nineties. I had to go back and backfill my nineties knowledge. So I'm, I'm not deep in nineties and deep cuts are going to go over my head. Right. So if I'm just somebody walking around that festival, um, you know, the number one hit from chili peppers, I'm gonna know that one and I'm be, I'm gonna be into it. But the number three hit, I don't know. It's a risk. Um, I just want to say, not that we've necessarily done this, but I've been in bands where you start off and you don't want to be like all the other bands. Yeah. And so you say, I'm not going to play the number one hit. I'm going right. to play the number three hit. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you, what inevitably happens is you learn the hard way through gigs yeah. that, that, oh, that doesn't work. But then you play, the, you do play a number one hit from another band. It's like, oh, well, that worked. Maybe we should do more songs like that. Yeah. Before you know it, you're playing all the same songs as everybody else. Yeah. But those are the songs that work. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying that we're doing that, but I just wanted to mention that. Well, yeah, listen, I that's, was, I, go ahead. I tried to, there was a group when I first started getting in, back into cover bands, I was in a group called Jukebox Zero and that was like our entire like concert. Like, we're not going to play the big hit. We're going to play like the lesser known stuff and that band made it less than six months. Nobody, want, nobody wanted to hear that. Like nobody wanted yeah. to hear it. So, yeah. yeah. Cautionary yeah. tale. Yeah. So listen, we're, we're we're in the neighborhood of talking about brand now, right? And brand mm-hmm. is my jam. It's, it's where, where I live. So um, I think that what what you've done to narrow the focus of your brand is really smart. And I think it gets you out of that. Like we just play the generic, you know, if it's a general business song, we're doing it right. You're not going to do Mustang Sally. It doesn't fit your brand, right? You're going to do Brown Eyed Girl. It's not happening. It doesn't fit your brand. Um, and that's good. That's good. Brand focus is really good. I like the brand you focused on. I think it's got, um, I think it's both a strong brand now and probably for the next 10 to 15 years, it'll grow. So I think that was really smart. Um, for the people who haven't seen it, who are listening to this without having seen it, could you describe some of the art you've generated around the brand? Yeah. Um, so, uh, it, and this is a thing that I definitely wanted to ask you guys about too, because we're kind of in this weird kind of two logo thing, right? Uh-huh. So if you look behind me, you can see the top of our banner. And so the first logo that we had like I went to like I can screw with Photoshop right and I can mock up some stuff and like I, I got I got rudimentary Photoshop skills right um, I think one of the more involved things I've done is if you went to our Facebook and saw our latest post for our next gig um, you know that's about the limit of my skills uh, but we paid a dude on Fiverr like eighty bucks to do the cassette tape so basically. It's a cassette tape with like some very nineties kind of color scheme. It's got like a couple Tetris blocks and a Vans checkered slip on and a little Furby poking out of the corner. Um, and it just kind of encompasses that whole 
you know, like mid to late nineties kind of vibe, which I kind of think is where we need to be. If we're focusing like up to 2005 ish. Um, and then we have another logo, which is basically just a font that I bought and kind of designed in Photoshop and made it look like a spray paint kind of logo. And I did that out of necessity really because the Furby logo is cool but it takes up a lot of space. It's mm. difficult to fit into certain scenarios. And, and it's right? detailed, so it doesn't so survive like, shrinking like, down very well, right? The, all the detail doesn't survive shrinking. Correct. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. And so, like, if you look at our website, when you land on the main page, the, the cassette with the Furby, that big logo is there. But at the top in the header, where all the links are to the different pages, it's the the more like the little spray paint logo that's kind of just text that's in a really cool font. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, we're kind of trying to, yeah, I don't know, trying to make it work yeah. in a couple different ways. Yeah. I think so. The, the, the Furby logo is the one that I had. Um, so the biggest reaction to you're right that the, the black and white um, spray paint one is um, fine, but doesn't have a lot of character, but that's okay. In some cases, um, the Furby one is tough because, uh, not only is it a hard shape to include in things in a lot of ways, um, and the detail is such that shrinking it down to put on like a business card, it kind of, it's going to turn to mush, right? Um, the other thing with it is all those colors are going to make t-shirts and printing really expensive, right? A lot of those things charge by the color. And so I'm just looking, this has like at least five colors. Well, for me, I don't know. Lots. Three, well, yeah. yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's got, yeah. I mean, aside from if you count out black and white, I'm looking at like one, two, three, four. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. 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 And that's enough to do like a full color photograph on a shirt, right? Price wise. Um, or, or something else. If you're going to print in, in color separation for, four is sort of the, where it gets peak expensive. Um, but more, yeah. more than that, I think, I think, uh, and, and I, this isn't, I just raise this to think about not, not cause it's a problem necessarily. Um, but when I looked at that logo with the Furby and the Tetris pieces and the, the Vans shoe, it felt like, it felt like the toys of the nineties. It felt like young kid, young kid in the nineties is going to, is going to, is going to relate to that. But your set list felt like older, older person in the nineties. The the set list felt like I was a, a teen or a young adult in the nineties. And that it just, the two just didn't seem to quite, it didn't seem to quite talk, talk the same story. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I, well, I think I totally get what you're saying. And I think part of that comes from the fact that like outside of Brad and no offense, Brad, <laughs> like Chris and I, Chris and I are the same age. I'm 39. Chris is 38. I graduated high school in 2001. Mm -hmm. Like Furbies were the thing Fully. when I was in high school. You know, totally. we were sitting around smoking cigarettes, talking about how they were going to become self-aware and they were yeah. going to take over the world. No, and, I, listen, you know, yeah, the I, same shit. That I, I'm with you. I'm with um, you. And, and listen, I think it's. Yeah, so, I think that's fine. I think. I think if the the thing I just want to raise to your attention is that having those sort of toy things. And I will just note Tetris came out in 85. Um, so fair enough, you know, um, the, but the game boy, the game boy. Okay. My first communion game boy that I got was Tetris. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. Again, weren't game boys like late eighties. I see. Here's, so here's the thing. As I look at this, it feels like 90. I don't know. It feels like, it feels okay, all right, fair enough. It feels like, um, it, this logo feels like it was designed from your experience of the nineties, which is fine. Cause you had an experience of the nineties and it was, it was, you know, it's what you've centered the, the brand and thought and feel of this band around. And that's completely fine. Um, the question I would raise is if that is excessive focus, if that focuses too much on a particular age group that were the same age as you were in the nineties versus like, Look, there were people in their 30s and the 90s who were listening to pop pop music. In fact, you you're probably hitting them more than you would be if you were focusing on grunge, right? The grunge was like high school college age. You're going to be hitting like young adults in the 90s who uh, you know, a Furby, I'm not sure they I'm not sure that's their connection to the 90s. That's fair. Yeah, and 
And I realize that like our set list doesn't our our current yeah. right yeah. like if you ignore the backlog right. I realize that our current set list doesn't necessarily reflect that. Yeah. And as we go forward, I think that's a change that's going to happen as we're going to get more into that. But there was a conscious thing to say, like, okay, like I grew up, I'm just thinking about people my age, right? Yep. Like, so people my age are, you know, young kid have young kids, right? Um, they were there for, they were young for the grunge explosion. Yep. Right. Like, you know, 93, I was 11 when Kurt Cobain died. Right. Like, um, you know, so we got, we got the beginning or the end of the grunge thing. And, um, and we got the nineties thing, but we also got the beginning of the, like the two thousands emo thing and the, my chemical romance and the, uh, fallout boy stuff and, and, and all that stuff. And so my whole thought was to kind of try to gear it toward, in between because those are the people you know five ten years ago the people that were going out to see cover bands wanted to hear 80s Mm -hmm. and or or at least they were in the age group where their experience was late 80s early 90s you know that the tail end of new wave in the 80s the beginning of grunge in the 90s and like my generation is more of that tail end of grunge yep and then into you know that that early 2000s strokes, Franz Ferdinand, blah, 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 you know, like the stuff that we have in there. Right? Absolutely. And so I feel like those are the people that are now, well, given recent, I don't know how many people have disposable income at this point, but like, you know, it's, those are the things where like my generation. Now, the people that listen to that music bought that music at that time is kind of of that age where they're like, Hey, we got a sitter for tonight. We're going to go out. We're going to see a band. We're going to drink. We're going to have fun with, you know? Yep. It's kind of the way I was thinking about it. No, and, and, I, and it's a totally valid way to think about it. I just want to make sure that it's not um, that uh, that focus on this thing you're calling my generation is a narrowing decision. And that's fine. It's, but you want to be narrow. You want to focus. Um, I would just keep an eye on it as you roll out and as you start to have more and more exposure that that narrowness isn't um, – excessively limiting. That's the thing I would keep an eye on. And, and it'd be really easy to tweak your branding okay. to be a little broader and just hit a, a yeah. little bit of a wider demographic. Dan, I think I understand what you're saying. It sounds like you're saying that um, it needs to be more inclusive in terms of in terms of the audience that we're attracting because we could be attracting people that are much younger than us or people that are older than us. Yeah. And it just kind of, it you know, there are people that are younger than us that have no, no clue what a Furby is, right? Yeah, or right, people that are older right. than us that never gave a shit about Furbies, right, right. you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And like, while it's cool and there's a, there's a niche there, um, if we want to pack more houses, we have to be as inclusive as possible while still maintaining that brand identity. Is yeah. That what you're saying? It, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, Isaac, I'm, I'm being careful not to say it needs to be anything. I think, I think it's a valid yeah. choice to narrow and focus. I think that's valid. Um, and in fact, it's, it's, it's a powerful choice, um, can be, if you can connect with that market in your marketing, I would just keep an eye on whether that starts to feel like a constricting limitation as you go forward. That, that, that'd be my advice about that. I think, you know, I, I would, I would not say to change, change direction now about that. unless, you know, you guys met after this and like, Oh God, Oh, we have to, you know, whatever. If this spurs some thinking, that's cool. Um, but I would keep an eye on, boy, I look around the room and the people we're connecting with, they are all 38, every one of them. And there are some 45 year olds sitting over there who don't, or like we're not in their world, right? If that starts to show up around you in your marketing or your socials or you're in the room, yeah, it's a hint that maybe maybe a little bit of a broader look at who was around in the 90s would be, would be a smart thing. It's tough. A lot of, like you're kind of saying, depending on how old you are, people have different ideas of what the 90s were. Totally. 100%. I mean, Absolutely. And Absolutely. if I could just use one, one example that I brought up to the band, there's a band called Saved by the 90s that comes through Cleveland sometimes. And they just have a completely, I'm not, I'm not putting them down. It's, it's fine. It's just the very cartoony version of the 90s. Yeah. But I, it, then I think to people who are 
you know, 10, 20 years younger than me, that's probably what they think the 90s were. Right. Whereas to me, who was in the 90s, I'm like, that's, that's not what it looked right. like. So no, and, and, it's that, just, yeah. uh, and that's how I tough. feel about the 80s, having been there, right? That's the same, exactly the <laughs> yeah, same thing. Yeah, I mean, we deal with that a lot because, you know, we don't wear wigs or costumes or things like that. But that is a thing that people do because, again, your, your entertainment, your yeah. job is to make people feel or forget what they're feeling for a little bit and take them somewhere. And so if you're, if you're trying to, uh, you know, dig into that nostalgia, then it's, you know, you can, you could, you have a little more leeway with, yeah, the cartoony silliness component of it. Uh, but people do, again, like we were saying, people do that shtick because it, it works. Yeah. And, um, you know, inevitably, I, I, I struggle with this a lot. I'm, again, we're talking about it's the Wang Chung rule that we think as musicians that what we love and what we think is important is what matters to the audience. And like, I have, <laughs> this is borne out time and time again that like the audience doesn't care. Yeah. Like my experience <laughs> right. is like right. so specific and unique to me that it can be, um, I, I almost like, immediately dismiss my instincts when it comes to the kind of stuff that you know we want to do you know, I'm the, I'm the same way. yeah i always i say that all the time I've, I've come to learn through hard experience that whenever i think to myself oh man this is so lame that usually means people are going to love it totally mm -hmm. totally yeah i had to oh, have, yeah. have that talk with my current band about mustang sally like no we're doing it trust me and it crushes yeah. it always crushes Adam I, just, I gotta say, I got a, I got a soft spot. I got a soft spot for Mustang Sally because that was like, that was my dad, and my stepmom's like dance song. Like when I was a teenager, and I went out with them, and they were like, "Oh, there's a band we want to see," and I saw like my 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 father try to dance for the first, it, mm, you know, mm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's good. I get, just saying, I got a soft. It's spot the good for stuff. Mustang it's Sally. good stuff. Hundred percent. Yeah, Adam, what yeah. in in generally speaking what what does matter to audiences like what is like especially the audiences that are going to see a cover band you know if you if you remove the, the i would the say genre or the era or the you know they, you made want, it they want somebody that makes them feel like they did when things were simpler they want to sing along to a song that they have heard a thousand times but makes them feel like they're in high school yeah that's what they want. They want to be able to drink beer and like hug the closest person next to them and just scream whatever it is, you know, that they, that, that makes them feel good. That's what they want. Yeah. That catharsis of the whole, like every, everybody in the room singing what's up by four non blondes, you know, at the top yeah. of their lungs that like, it's the cheesiest thing. It's like bad music, but it's so cathartic. The, the way that I always think about it is like, imagine what, what song would you play where you, Isaac, the vocalist, just throws your mic out into the, in, like up in the air and you hear it being like screamed back at you by like 300 people. That's, that's, that's what you should, that's, those are the songs you want to do. Yeah. So it's going mean, to, if you're in the nineties world, it's going to be Wonderwall. It's going mm. to be, uh, it's going to be Santa Rita. You know, my own, we're sending me. Yeah. It's going to be those songs because those are the, those are going to, those are it, you know, it, it's the easiest way to kind of gauge what should and shouldn't, you know, make it to the stage. I sometimes say that. How I, do you I, walk, how, sorry. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, how do you walk the line? Then how do you, how do you, um, how do you walk that kind of that that line between you know something that's just so overplayed and you know passe to some to also giving the people what they want you know like the like that 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 cathartic you know sing along moment like you know you don't want to be you don't want to play stale music but you also don't want to lose your audience so how do you walk that line it seems like a delicate balance to me it's a matter of adjusting what makes me feel good about performing a song so just for context i my main band is an 80s band it's called members only we've been together for just over eight years every single show we have ever played we end with don't stop believing and it's not going to be 
a question of, do we play Don't Stop Believing? Because oh. we're going to play Don't Stop Believing. And the thing that I enjoy about it is the fact that, like, it doesn't matter whether, like, there's a thousand people or you're down to, like, the last, like, five diehards. They're right up front and they are just screaming those words back at you. That's what's fun about it to me. Yeah. And it's the, I mean, there's the technical part of it. Like, it's the fact that I've been singing for three hours and I can still, like, I'm still hitting those notes. And, like, there's a little bit of, like, you know, there's a little show-offness to it. Um, but, yeah, it's, you have to find a way to get around your, I don't know. I think we're just, I think we're, as, as musicians, we're kind of just snotty and kind of pretentious about things. Yeah. And we're also precious about stuff that doesn't necessarily make a difference. Um, and so it, it, it is a mental switch. It's a thing that you've got to exercise. I'll, I'll say this too. Sorry, go ahead. Well, here's what I'll say. This is more Wang Chung. If I got to pick every song that my band played, we'd be doing Satisfied by Richard fucking Marks. And we're <laughs> never going to play Satisfied by Richard Marks because nobody wants to hear nobody that song except for me. Yeah. 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 No, I want to hear it. That's a great way to sum it up, Adam. I think it's because uh, we have these conversations and I'm going to I'm going to uh, throw uh, Creston under the bus a little bit because he is the king of the do it. So we, we played in a, a 90s band prior to uh, to the that's, why, that's why there's a Nick Cave picture on my wall. Right. So, I'm all deep cut, baby. Mm. <laughs> we're, we're talking about songs by bands. And um, I, so I, I'm a little older than these guys. I, I was a parent in the 90s. And so I had two kids in the 90s. So like I, I, I kind of crossed that bridge from the young generation uh who's out in bars now to the older generation that's out in bars now uh but um it's funny because you know like i thought that i knew a lot of 90s stuff and i was i always thought like you know the the songs that we want to play are the ones that are going to make people sing and and that can be a challenge from some of the 90s stuff right because it's a different era of music coming from the 80s and all that stuff but we, we would make a suggestion for a band and Creston would pull some deep cut off of a obscure EP that they released in Japan. I'm like, man, we can't play that. Dude. I, so they're like, you're growing up and you're listening to these songs. And I, I grew up in the eighties. Right. So like, I wanted to be, I wanted to replace Tico Torres and Bon Jovi. There I love that guy, but that's who I wanted to be. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like, there's a, there's a lot of Bon Jovi songs that I wish I could play in an eighties band, but I know you got to play living on a prayer. Yep. Right. You do. And if that's, you do. I think that's where you find that differentiation, right? Yeah. It's one thing to want to sing, want to play this particular tune, but you do have to, in some cases, pander to your audience and play my own worst enemy instead of that other yeah. song that Creston says by lit that no one else knows, but Creston. Well, yeah. So let's, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of look, it was a hit. We'll, 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 we'll bookmark the song selection thing and move well, on. Well, to, well let me, let me to, just say one quick thing first. One quick thing first. Yeah. Um, it's possible that stale is a musician's perspective and not an audience's perspective. hundred percent. Right. Um, the, here, I'm going to, yeah. and then I'm going to give you a counterexample to that. There was a time when Wonderwall was totally burned, totally burned. It was a joke. It was a joke song for everybody, not just musicians. Like, you know, it started playing and it was like, uh, cause it got desperately overplayed on the radio. It was horrible, you know? And, and now I pull it out acoustic I don't do it with my band yet. They don't know it's coming. Um, I pull it out acoustic and the place goes crazy and everybody sings along it's with come it. Back it's around. totally yeah. come back around. And I think you just, I think knowing that is just about being dialed in. It's about experimenting with stuff. You know, I, I kind of put it on as a joke the first time and then like was surprised at what happened in the room. So I think you have to feel those things out. I, th I don't think there's any uh, formula to it. I think a song is going to stay dead as long as it's dead. Um, but then they come back and, and the good ones do. And Wonderwall is a great song. I mean, really just a great song. Um, right. I'm hopping in to defend Creston. Okay. Yo. <laughs> this, this is our last thing we'll say about song selection. The songs that, that make you want to, you know, to really get into and get those deep cuts and those kinds of things. That is a choice to make on the third to fifth return to the same venue with a built-in audience. 
Oh. When you've yeah. built up enough rapport with a crowd that they trust you enough to take them somewhere mm. in order to kind of like keep keep things fresh for them so that you're not just showing them, you know, you're not serving them the same cheeseburger every single time they see you. So I'm not saying that those things don't have a place and they don't belong somewhere. They just don't need to, they're not going to, they shouldn't be the thing that you like storm the castle with right. on the first go round. Yeah. I dig yep. it because that's, I, and I know Brad can attest to this because he was playing in a band uh, where they literally never changed their set list. Like never. And it was brutal, right? right? And, brutal. and they're playing the same five, six places like time and time again. And they, they never changed their, I mean, like very overbooked in the area and never change your set list. Mm. Yeah. It's miserable. People would be like, how can we only get 10 people here tonight? I don't know. Well, maybe because they've heard us 10 other times in this place playing these songs. Right. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and call for this week in, let's see, in Portland, Maine. Uh, I'm Adam Johnson. Uh, in Island Park, Idaho, Dan Ray. You have been listening to the Cover Band Confidential Podcast for the week of Gosh, June next week. 17th. 17th, there you go. 2022. See you back in normal times. And that's how you rock more and suck less. Hey, listener, this is Adam Moskowitz of the Van Band out of South Florida. Yes, another Adam. Adams are taking over the cover band scene. Get used to it. Sorry, Dan. On behalf of Cover Band Confidential, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Now, I know you want to support this cast, so this is how you do it. You subscribe, you leave a five-star review, you share this episode with your musician friends, and you throw a screenshot on your story. And you go ahead and you follow the podcast on all their socials. You got Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all of them. These gentlemen, Adam Johnson of Members Only and Dan Ray of the Clinky Lincolns, have graciously given us vast amounts of great content. So as a thank you, go ahead and send them some green energy on their Patreon page. For real, send them some digital coins. And when you do that, you'll get access to the Slack back channel, which is just musicians and band leaders chatting about the craft of being in a performing cover band. The wins! The losses. The behind the scenes goodness. If you play at least once a month for money, all I'm saying is break off a few bucks for your favorite podcast that you always listen to. Any questions, comments, hit up the Facebook group, send a text or voicemail to their hotline. That's 404-491-0910. You can also email coverbandconfidential at gmail.com. If you'd like, you can find my band on Instagram, Facebook, at VAMBAND. That's V-A-M band. Do it. Seriously, I want to see that CBC bump. Or you can find everything you need at VAMBAND.com. We started in 2019. We play funk, pop, soul, R&B, Motown in Southeast Florida. I play guitar and bag of vocals at Adam Moskowitz Music on IG. Also follow the CBC host on IG. That's at Adam Patrick Johnson and at Dan Ray Musician. Or visit CoverBandConfidential.com for all the goods. I'm going to go ahead and call it. For Adam Moskowitz in Boca Raton, Florida, that was your outro bumper on Cover Band Confidential. Always be performing! (laughs) 